Welcome to It's Your Money, a practical guide for managing the financial resources God has provided. Your host is Christian attorney and financial counselor, G. Edward Reed. Hello and welcome to number six in our series, It's Your Money, Isn't It? And we're talking about the biblical principles of personal money management. Well, we've talked about debt and how to get out of debt, and now I want to talk to you about budgeting suggestions. For most people, a budget is about as interesting as going on a diet, but nonetheless, uh, it is helpful in both cases, and so we will talk about a simple budget that you can use. You'll notice when you look at the uh, material in our book here and the workbook that we're using a budget that was put together by Larry Briquette and Christian Financial Concepts, and we're using it with Larry's permission. And uh, now Crown Financial Ministries, the new merged organization, has a little bit of a modification of the same budget, but basically it's the simple same thing. We're going to start on page 17 in the workbook for those of you that have a workbook. Otherwise, you can just take notes, and I hope the material will be helpful to you. The big question for a lot of people is how much is enough? A lot of times when people come to me for counseling, they say, well, we just don't make enough. And I've had lots of people tell me that who actually make more money than I do. So the big question is, how much is enough? Well, you really never know how much enough is unless you make a budget. You don't understand if all of your needs are being met and so on. The bottom line that we'll try to look at today is if if you have something simple that's workable, you'll likely keep it, and especially if it benefits your family, and that's what we're going to try to do today. Most people will spend everything they make no matter how much it is, and the problem today is, especially in America, I think for the first time in 2001, uh, in America, we had actually a, uh, ne- uh, a deficit as far as savings is concerned. People spent more than they made. Now, how is that even possible? Well, the answer is credit and debt. And lots of people will buy things that they think they need. I'll give you a little illustration of this. Frequently, people do what we call impulse buying. Uh, They'll see something they want, and they'll just say, well, we can do this. Uh, I'm going to tell you sometimes good intentions are even not good to follow. A young couple came to me one time and they said that they were really in trouble because of their finances and I asked them to explain how they thought they got that way. And they said, well, uh, early on we were going to buy a house full of furniture because we'd been renting an apartment that was furnished and we thought, well, we can at least invest in our furniture. So they bought a, a rented an unfurnished apartment and they were looking in the newspaper right before this and they saw the ad that said, uh, all furniture on sale and no interest and no carrying charges and no payments for six months. And they said, this is our chance. So they went and bought a house full of furniture. And uh, I don't need to describe to you how expensive things are, but they spent about $6,000 in the process. And it wasn't a whole house. It was just basic things that they needed, living, dining, bedroom, etc. But at any rate... uh, Their plan was to pay the whole thing off in the six months and not have to pay any finance charges at all. But they had this backup plan that they were going to put part of it on their credit card if they didn't have it paid off, like just write a check or a cash advance from the credit card, and that way they'd make monthly payments on it. Well, the interesting thing happened was that uh, when they took out the uh, contract that they had signed several months later, they realized that anything that wasn't paid off by the time the six months was up would have retroactive interest 
at 21% from the day of purchase. They didn't read that part, which was in fine print on the back when they got the things. Then they realized that the closing date, when they had to have it all paid off, was just two weeks away. And to make matters worse, they had maxed out their credit card in the meantime. And I would tell you, I said, well, did you guys have an emergency or something? Oh, no, no. She said, we had... Uh, we had bad judgment. She said one uh, Saturday night uh, in the winter, we went out uh, just walking the mall, and we made the mistake of stopping at the pet store, and there was this little puppy that fell in love with us, and we just couldn't leave him there, so we bought this puppy. And, of course, they didn't have the money, so they put it on their credit card, and then you have to get a leash, and you have to buy food, and you have to make a bed for him to be in, and all these things. So it just adds up. In addition to that, she said, my husband was looking through some magazine and he saw a rifle on sale. And I should tell you that we're vegetarian, but he decided he's always wanted a rifle, so he bought this rifle. Of course, when you get a rifle, then you have to get ammunition and you have to get a gun case to put it in so it's being safe and all of that. And uh, their credit card was maxed out. And she said, I think we're in trouble. And I agreed with them. Now, the interesting part about this is people can get into that. How do you do it? Well, you do it without a budget. If you have a budget, you know what your income is, you know what your monthly expenses are, and you know what money you can use for other things. So we're going to talk about, actually, the fact that serious problems occur. Uh, Crown Financial Ministries a number of years ago determined that 40% of Christian families overspend every month. 40% of people are spending at least $2,000 a year in just consumer interest alone, excluding their home mortgage. And so we're talking about how to get over that, and the simple answer is a budget. And a budget is not really drudgery. It actually frees you up to enjoy your life. But you're simply counting the cost. And the Bible talks about this in Luke 14, 28, which essentially says, which one of you, when wanting to build a tower, would not first sit down and count the cost to see that he has enough money to finish it? Because if you don't finish it, your friends, when they see it, would ridicule you or those that pass by. So it's really just counting the cost ahead of time. So we're going to talk about just a simple budget, and that means organizing your finances as to uh, when you're buying or building a house, for example. A lot of people don't realize it, but when you actually buy a house, there's two qualifications. First of all, the house has to be worth, worth more than the loan you're getting. It has to have an appraisal. And then in addition to that, you have to demonstrate that you can handle it to pay back the money. So you qualify yourself and you qualify the house. Well, a budget is just simply qualifying your budget to know whether or not you can afford something and when you could pay it off. Most people recognize that if they actually save the money to pay cash for things, which I would encourage, then you really determine whether or not you need it, and you also give God an opportunity to provide that for you if it's in his providence that you should have it. So we're going to talk about the proper uses of money. And there's a real uh, interesting statement that sometimes people say to me when they come in. They say, well, we make a good income, but we just don't know where all the money goes. And uh, I always tease people at that point and say, well, do you think somebody's stealing from you or something? And they say, oh, no, no, we're, they're not stealing from us, but uh, it just seems to slip away. And I tell people, well, one of the ways that I can avoid that and I can tell you about it is that you should actually write a check for everything you buy. And uh, most people know that if you carry cash, you're going to spend money and uh, you just understand that it's important to uh, uh, make sure your budget allows these things. So we're going to talk about the three proper uses of money. And I found this interesting statement in Christ Object Lessons, page 351. 
And it states, money has great value because it can do great good. But money is of no more value than sand, only as it is put to use in, here's the three areas, providing for the necessities of life, in blessing others, and that's number two, and the third one is advancing the cause of Christ. Now, I want you to understand the way these are in their order. The first one is providing for our own needs, and obviously that needs to be first. But then the next two are helping others and helping advance the cause of Christ, which, as we already know, stores up treasures in heaven. So let's keep that in mind. Now, uh, when you go to the uh, suggestion of the short-range plan, uh, you're going to find that on page 18 in your workbook. This doesn't look very interesting, but indeed it is, and I think you'll actually enjoy seeing it. Uh, as a Christian, and as speaking typically to those who are Christian, and obviously you're wanting to know the biblical principles for management, I'm going to suggest that when you look at this page, you don't become preoccupied with the dollar amounts, but rather see that it's a percentage budget. For example, if you have a limited income, you may want to set aside something like 12% for tithe and offerings. That would be like a tithe, God's tenth, and then 2% on a systematic basis to help others or help advance the cause of God. But whatever the case, you total all your income from the various sources, but there are two areas that I would consider are non-discretionary. The first one would be my tithe. Whatever happens to me, I want to be faithful, and I'm sure that you do as well. So you have your tithe and offerings, and you budget that, and in our family, we write that as our first check. Now, many of you actually have your taxes taken out of your income. For those who are ministers, you are considered self-employed, and so you pay your own taxes, including Social Security, but you have to budget for these things. So I'm going to tell you that tithe and taxes should be first thing considered or tithe and offerings and taxes. I want to mention one other thing here, and this is very important to know. Frequently, it's not so common now, but several years ago, people would come to me and say, have you read this book? This guy has written a book about the fact that, according to him, uh, the income tax system in the United States is unconstitutional, and you don't have to, to uh, do this, but by doing it, you agree to do it, and then you get stuck with it, and so on. And he had written a book about how to get out from paying taxes. And uh, I told this person, when you read the Bible, there's something that comes out, and that is that Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And I want to tell you also something interesting. Most people who write these kind of books write their second book from jail. And I will just tell you something interesting also. Not that it's illegal to write the book, but if they practice it, that's where it's going to end them up. And I can show you that in a good example. Most people have heard of the gangster in the 20s in this country who was called Al Capone. Now, with the evidence that we have today and with the forensics and so on, I read an article recently where it's likely that uh, Al Capone was responsible for the death of at least 53 people. So he was a mass murderer by anybody's standards. But do you know why he actually spent the last part of his life in jail? He did because of tax evasion. So it's very important to understand that. So as much as we dislike taxes, we do like living in our country, and we like smooth roads, and we like, you know, police protection and all those things. I encourage people to use all their legitimate deductions and so on, but let's remember that tithe and taxes, our, our responsibility to God and to our civil government, are really something that uh, we should uh, be faithful in. 
But now when you add those two together, in my illustration in the book, that totals 33% of my income. So I actually take that off of my gross amount, and I end up with a figure of 67% of my gross, but I call that my net spendable income. And from that amount is what I actually take all of my expenses out of. And you can see here, in this case, that there's housing and food and automobile or transportation, insurance, debts, entertainment, recreation, clothing, savings, you know, medical expenses, and miscellaneous. It's pretty interesting that most of those are things that all of us have to live with, and we have that as part of our budget. So you can divide the percentages any way you want to. Some regions of the country, you are actually almost forced to spend more than the 30% that I have listed for housing. And by the way, that's not just rent or mortgage payment, but that includes your utilities. You can see that by looking at the next page. It includes uh, taxes, electricity, water, even telephone, those kinds of things. But uh, a lot of people are not making enough where they live that they can get by with 30%, so they have to do more in that category. But what does that mean? That means you have less to spend in other areas. That means you need to live prudently and to uh, still to live within your budget. Now, I want to give you an illustration here. If you upped every one of these and then drew a line at the bottom and added them up, you might get a figure like 160%. Well, you could do that for a while because of availability of credit, like a line of credit on your house or a second mortgage or your credit cards or whatever. But finally, these are going to come back to haunt you because you'll have to pay it back or go bankrupt or get into some real difficult situations. So I'm going to suggest that instead of going in debt every month, even a little bit, you try to actually live on the other side and that is actually spend less than you make so you have a little bit for savings because there will come up something that you're like an emergency like the transmission might go out of your car or your refrigerator might go on the blink as we say and uh, you actually need to replace something the point I'm going to make here though those who are savers understand not only do they have money for emergencies but guess what they also have money for good things and that may, may be a vacation to a nice place or to buy themselves something special for the family to enjoy while the kids are little like a boat or whatever the thing I'm going to tell you about all of this is it's much better to live within your means as far as peace in the family and planning for the future so I'm going to tell you that this is just a guideline budget but I'm going to suggest that if you have a workbook and you have the budget that you actually don't write on this page I'm going to suggest that you take the page maybe to work or to a library and make a photocopy of it and uh, work on it a little bit in pencil because it's going to take you a while to do this if you haven't been uh, involved in a budget in the past so there's one thing however that is uh, I would say uh, quite noticeably absent here and that's the expense for Christian education uh, education is expensive, but we need to understand that when you're involved in something that's valuable, it's worth it. Because we say that, you know, uh, education is expensive, but ignorance is more expensive. It would just cost you more to live the rest of your life, and you have a, a lower amount of your income stream also. We want to look just quickly at a couple of the items here so that you can look at it. And if you want to go to the next page, that'll be page 19. I just want to show you how to do the worksheet.
Now, actually, all of these numbers on the numbered lines would transfer over to the other page, and this is one of just the monthly income and expenses. Well, you might say, I don't know how much we're spending for food. My suggestion is to use a checkbook and write a check for everything for three months, and then you can just add up your checks, and you can see how much you're spending over a three-month period. You can divide by three and figure out how much it's costing your family to buy your food. You know what your travel expenses are, those kinds of things. For example, in the automobile area, we're not just talking about payments, but we're talking there about gas and oil, insurance, license, registration, taxes, maintenance and repair fund, and also replacement. Theoretically, you'd be saving up uh, to pay cash for your next car. Now, I'm going to tell you something funny right here to me. Uh, I practice what I preach, and I think the, the interesting part about it, I was in a large church one time giving a seminar, and there was a man on the front row who was blind. He had dark glasses on, and he had a white cane with a red tip on it, and he was just sitting there kind of rocking back and forth, and I wasn't sure how much he was getting from it, but when I was talking about getting out of debt, this man just blurted out right in church, are you out of debt? And, uh, you know, that was too personal a question for him to ask me. But I said to him, I practice what I preach and I am working on this. And I certainly hope by God's grace to be able to, to do everything I tell you about. The, I, the fact is, what I'm telling you, and I'll admit this, is from an ideal perspective. And I know we don't live in an ideal world, but we can be as close to the ideal as possible. So let me give you an illustration of this. In the automobile area... If you actually save up for your next car, you'll be much more prudent in what you spend it on, and you'll probably take care of it a lot better, and you have more things that uh, are helpful to your family if you do it in that way. There is a downside, however, to paying cash for a car, and one of them is the reaction on the face of the salesperson. This is so interesting to me, and... Uh, when I bought uh, our Toyota, I, I, I actually, <clears throat> the salesperson, after we had settled on the price, said, uh, well, Toyota Motor Credit has this thing. If you pay for it in five years, it's this amount, or four years, this amount, or three years, this amount, or you could lease it, and so on. We won't spend time on it right now, but I would tell you that for most consumers, leasing is not a good option. You end up with no equity at all, and you're paying a high price for the vehicle, and you're limited in the miles you can use, and there's all kinds of problems, and it's very difficult difficult to get out from under them. So I would not recommend leasing an automobile unless you can deduct it as part of a business arrangement. At any rate, uh, I told the man after he gave me all these options that I intended to pay cash if that was okay. Well, of course, he nearly fainted. But then after that, he tried to talk me out of it, saying I'd be better off to put my money in the stock market and uh, finance my vehicle. Well, uh, I would rather have the security of being debt-free, even if the stock market were doing great. And uh, that's the, the way I feel. Uh, being debt-free is one of the greatest securities that you can have. And even if you pay your house off, you understand, even if the economy goes so bad that your health becomes worthless, at least you have a place to live. And you can have a place to call your own and so on. So what we want to do then is to talk a little bit about the uh, Christian education thing since it's not on here. Some people ask me, well, you know, should I tithe if I'm in debt or should I be saving when I'm in debt? And the answer to both is yes. You want God's blessing and you want to slowly build up a reserve fund so that you uh, have some savings for emergency and so on. Uh, people want to know, well, how much should we save up? 
And uh, the answer to that really varies depending on what your monthly expenses are. But, you know, three to six months salary equivalent is really good. You don't want to just, you know, be in the mode of always saving, but you want to think in terms of the future, your retirement. And you also want to always keep in mind that you want to store up some treasures in heaven by helping others and helping advance the cause of God. So we'll go to page 20 and look at the area of Christian education. Uh, I actually believe that it's important for our families to train children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, uh, but it's expensive, and how do you do it? Well, first of all, you understand that a private school education can be, you know, sixty to $100,000. I mean, uh, even at a private college, it can be fifteen to 18000 a year, and if you talk about four years, it's a lot of money. But I would suggest breaking it down into one year at a time and just think about it as one year at a time. And you ask yourself the question, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? Well, the point I'm going to say from that is uh, it doesn't really matter whether you're extremely successful in life, but if you have a good education, you'll have something that you can uh, uh, bank on. I, I'll show you as we talk later in the next session about training children that it's important to train children to be good workers and that kind of thing. But we recognize that our children belong to God, and I think this is an important thing also. We're training them for God. And of course, our ultimate goal is to have them with us in heaven. You understand that if this were the last day on earth, there's no happier people around than Christian parents who have their children with them ready to go to heaven. So that's the primary thing there. And uh, we're going to go on to uh, another point in the Christian education one. I want to address student loans for just a moment. Student loans are not exactly like a mortgage debt, or they're not exactly like a credit card debt in the sense that uh, maybe we could have done it uh, a different way or whatever. Or it's not actually, you know, splurging. But I would suggest that student loans be thought of in this way. First of all, do your very level best to pay for your education as much as you can with cash. Anything that you can't pay, then borrow only the absolute amount that's necessary. Sometimes people go to the student uh, aid office at the university and, and say they want to get a student loan, and they'll the, the loan officer will have them fill out a bunch of papers and include their parents' uh, uh, tax forms and all those kind of things, and then they'll come back and say, well, you qualify for $10,000. Guess how much most people would borrow under those circumstances? The whole thing. What I want to tell you is if you can get by with 1500 only borrow the exact amount you need because you have to pay it back. And typically with high interest, and even student loans now have interest that are higher even than some mortgage rates that you would see. So I would think that the student loan should be the last resort, and I'm going to show you how you can do that. And... Uh, We'll go to uh, number three on page 20, and that's finding a way to do it. Here's what we did in our family. We decided that uh, student initiative was important. So I told our children, uh, <clears throat> you guys are going to work, and uh, you can find a job that you like, and so on. And uh, I can tell you that uh, Andrew worked at Taco Bell, uh, it's kind of an interesting place to work because uh, I still eat at Taco Bell, but they only have 12 ingredients there. And whatever you order is one of those things all mixed together. You understand it's just a different array. But Andrew described Taco Bell. He worked there for three years, and I'm not downplaying at all. But he said Taco Bell is the place that if you show up on time for work three days in a row, they want to make you manager. 
And the point is, it's hard to get good student workers. And if you if you work, you learn to work, you enjoy it. So we said to our kids, tell you what, if you work in the summer or when you work, you would say, uh, and, and I think this is really important, save a specified amount. And we told our children, you save $1,000 every summer. You can spend the rest of it however you want to. And typically they would save a little more even for their own needs, but you have $1,000 to put down. Now I want to add to that the one on the bottom of the list, their grants and scholarships. A lot of people don't realize it, but if you have good grades in high school or academy, and uh, if you get involved in various activities of the school as far as the student association and so on, you can get grants and scholarships. Or if the field of study is one that you would want to do, uh, uh, the, like for example, nursing over the the course of a number of years in the past, there have been good grants or scholarships for nursing because you've need they need nurses. So you think about what you should do. Now the reason that I'm mentioning the grants and scholarship thing is that since education is so expensive, you don't want to spend four years going through a course that you're not even going to do. Over half of college graduates end up working in a field for which they were not trained and had nothing to do with their, their training. So I would encourage people, Crown Financial Ministries has a good course on this. You can get it on a CD and do it right at home. And that is determine what your interests are and what kind of jobs are available in those areas. So after you do get your education, you actually work in that area. So student initiative, working, grants and scholarships. Another one is we told our kids... If you'll save $1,000 every summer, and if you do your best to get grants and scholarships, your mom and I will be responsible for the balance, and we did. And this, to us, uh, was, was a good time. We thank God that time is over now. But the fact is, if a family is willing to sacrifice in prudent living, there's likely a very minimum of any student loans. And uh, I can tell you that really, really helps because uh, when you start out in life, you don't want to start out with large debts if you can avoid it for sure. So what I'll share with you as we sum up this important topic, a budget is not drudgery. It is actually a tool to free you up to uh, see what your income sources are, what your expenses are, and to live peacefully within that means. Now, frequently, if you find yourself in debt, you need to maximize the income and minimize expenditures to live very prudently for a period of time so that you can find the, you know, the real benefit of being debt-free. Now, don't be discouraged. This is what I want to tell you. Because when you start putting together a budget, you'll actually find, in most cases, we did this when we first started a budget many years ago, that we were actually spending more than we were making. And you can do that with credit and debt. But if you have a simple budget that you can follow and you're willing to communicate with each other, that is a spouse, husband, and wife, you'll be able to see it's a real benefit to live debt-free. And I should say also that uh, a husband and wife, if you're married, you need to have uh, a counsel about this. You need to work together on it. No surprises coming home with a new pickup or a bass boat or whatever, those kind of things. But you work together and you pray about it and you, you save up for things. You may not always have full cash for it, which is the ideal, but at least you have it in your budget and you understand that you can take care of it. So when you do this, you'll find your life much more full and you'll find less, much less stress. And it's really, really simple.
putting together a simple budget will give your family guidance and keep you from the uh, real struggles of debt. And I hope this will be a blessing to each one. It's a simple budget. You can find it in the book. And this will be on pages 18 and 19 in the workbook. God bless you, each one. been listening to It's Your Money with Christian attorney and financial counselor G. Edward Reed. If you'd like to learn more about developing financial strategies from a Christian perspective, call 1-800-328-0525 and ask for the companion It's Your Money book and workbook written by Mr. Reed. You can also order individual It's Your Money CDs by name or topic. Call 1-800-328-0525 or visit online at www.adventsource.org.